welcome to episode 204 of the Spoiler Alert Podcast, brought to you by MovieOutsiders.com. I'm Danny, and I'm here with Mike, and tonight we'll be discussing 1991's Best Picture winner, The Silence of the Lambs, directed by Jonathan Demme, starring Chris Isaac and Frankie Faison. <laughs> Mike, how are you doing tonight? I'm, I'm doing great, and I'm so glad that you referenced Chris Isaac, because I forgot he was in this movie. He gets a title in the opening credits. In the, of the opening film, credits. And I'm like, where the hell is Chris Isaac in this movie? And then he, I do eventually see him, but he's in it for like a minute. And he has a line. Yeah, he has at least one he line. Has yep. A line. And I just started laughing, thinking like, how did he get billing back then? But I guess that was about the time of the popularity of his big song was was right around then. Like his he was game. kind of a thing. He was a thing at the time. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I uh, So I actually remember this movie well. This is one of those best pictures where somehow, even though I was, I don't know, 13 or something at the time, I saw it in the theater a couple of times and really enjoyed. Okay. But 1991 was quite a year for movies. Oh, it's a great year for movies. Absolutely. JFK, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, Bugsy. Boys in the Hood. I'm kidding about Bugsy. Yeah, that, Bugsy's all right. Uh, Boys in the Hood, Thelma and Louise. City Slickers. City Come Slickers, on. absolutely. Yes, Beauty and the Beast. Nominated for Best Picture uh, as a five-slot nominee year. This this was huge for Disney. That was a big deal. That yeah, is a was... big freaking deal. Three of the best song nominees were from Beauty and the Beast. One of them won it. It didn't even vote One split. Of them won. That's yep. amazing. Yeah, yeah, big year. Big year. Bugsy, though, came into the year with 10 nominations, if you can believe that. It won less than, I don't know if it won any, actually. I didn't fact check that. But uh, uh, let me, I'll it fact came check in, it came while in you with talk. 10. Yeah. JFK came in with eight. And then Sounds of the Lambs and Prince of Tides came in with seven apiece. Okay. Uh, Bugsy won art direction, costume design, and that was it. Okay. Yeah. Well, obviously, The Sounds of the Lambs was the big winner from the Best Picture standpoint. It also took home Best Director for Jonathan Demme, Best Actress for Jodie Foster, who became the the second Academy Award winner to win Best Actress two times. Right. And I think she did it before. She was only 29, so she was very young still. Uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins won Best uh, Actor. And then Ted Talley won Best Adapted Screenplay right. for adapting Thomas's Harris, so Thomas Harris's novel. It was the the crown jewel sweep, which has only happened three times in Academy Awards history. It happened one night, which That's we've right. reviewed. We've uh, reviewed. Cuckoo's Nest, which we have not yet reviewed. And Can't this, wait. I mean, in 90 years, three times this has happened. That's the, the, the they took all the big trophies. And yet Frankie Faison was somehow shut out. Yeah. No love for Frankie Faison as Barney. Right. Right. Seems like an over seems like an oversight. I think a great year for movies. I think this was a great film amongst many. And for it to take all of those top prizes, I think a really big deal. So the, so Bugsy obviously coming in as a co-frontrunner. And I think that was the movie that right. actually got Warren Beatty and Annette Benning together, right? Like, this was the beginning of their relationship was that movie. You might be right. Yeah, I I remember this this period in movies really well. You said you saw Silence of the Lambs twice in the theaters. I never saw it in the theaters. I think I saw it on VHS maybe as a rental a year or two later. 
But I've revisited the movie probably a good dozen times since then. It's You were probably pretty busy checking out Robin Hood Prince of Thieves right. at the theater yep. like three or four times. Yep. You were a big Christian Slater guy. Prince of Tides, yep. Prince of you Tides, were, Prince of Thieves, both of them. I like all princes. Yep, you were big into Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio. Oh god. That was like your that was your crush that summer. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> After that in the abyss, did she ever work again? Uh boy, I don't know. I've never been a big fan of hers. I I haven't followed it. What and uh let's talk JFK. First of all, no one believes you, but let's go on. Let's talk JFK. Let's talk JFK for a quick minute. That I did see in the theaters and became one of my favorite movies very quickly. I love that film. I've probably seen that more times than The Silence of the Lambs since 1991. I love that movie. JFK is a fantastic movie. <sighs> it's You gotta watch like the four-hour director's cut. It, it's can... just, it's cut so well. The editing is amazing. It's like, how do you make a movie three and a half hours long that you're on the edge of your seat? It's almost like one of those crazy movies where like everybody's in it too, right? Like it's it's got the all-star yes. cast, like those big, you know, 1950s blockbuster movies. That's one of those movies when you're playing Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. You yeah, just always right. take a shortcut through JFK because you got John in Candy yeah. to Tommy Lee Jones and Joe Pesci and right. Kevin Bacon himself. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty easy to, to drive through there. Well, let's talk a little bit about The Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Um, I'll start with a, uh, a very tight plot recap. I feel like this is one of those movies that you think everyone has seen and then you mention it, and some people shake their heads, and then you judge them. Interesting. Yeah, right. And you don't understand why they haven't seen it. I would definitely judge them, but feel free to spoil it, because if you haven't seen it by now, you're probably not planning to, right? Well, there's so uh, the film uh, stars Jodie Foster as FBI agent-in-training Clarice Starling, who is working her way through the Academy at Quantico when she is called into the office of Jack Crawford, uh, played in this film by Scott Glenn. And she is ordered to visit Hannibal Lecter, a serial killer and cannibal played by Sir Anthony Hopkins at a mental institution outside Baltimore. Her job ostensibly is to go and visit Hannibal and have him fill out a questionnaire so the FBI can learn more about serial killers and try to tap into Lecter's psyche, I guess, and learn a little bit more about what makes him tick. The real reason for her visit that Crawford did not share with her is to see if Lecter can be baited into trying to help the FBI catch another serial killer nicknamed Buffalo Bill, who's in the process of killing and skinning women uh, all across the Midwest. Ultimately, Lecter, I guess, finds uh, Clarice interesting and uh, enjoys his conversations with her enough that he offers to help her catch Buffalo Bill and sets in motion an opportunity for him to escape while also fulfilling his end of the bargain and giving Clarice just enough information and clues to piece together how she can find and ultimately catch Buffalo Bill. And that's Sounds of the Lambs. What do you think of this movie, Mike? This is one of my favorite Best Picture winners of all time. I think that it's a fantastic movie. I don't know that if I love it as much as JFK, it might not be my favorite movie of the year, but it is up there on my lists for sure. I love this film. How about you? I feel precisely the same. I've been so excited for us to get to this one finally when the best picture choosing machine spit it out at us. I I, I couldn't wait to see it again. The first time I watched it on Blu-ray, that was sort of exciting. 
Yeah. I, I think that this movie is great. What, it, you know, I, I think I said I've probably seen it about a dozen times. It's been a while since I've seen it last. And it was sort of fun to watch how... I don't want to say that it's dated because that makes it sound like you wouldn't enjoy putting it in your DVD player. And, but it is a little bit dated in the way that the West Wing is dated now. And I still watch the West Wing episodes all of the time. But there's a, there's a funny scene where Clarice and her roommate are chatting and they're, you know, they're, they're trying to, to get into the case file of the serial killer that they're investigating and they say something like, oh no, if, if that would have been the case, the computer would have found it. And I just I, I just laughed out loud at that line about the, the computer would have found it. Like the, in 1991, that's how you would refer to this in a movie. We didn't, like nowadays you could actually get into the details of what the data profiling would, would include. But back then it was the computer. And it does look a scooch old now but it it also made it feel really nostalgic in a way that i thought alfred hitchcock could have filmed this movie almost exactly the same way in the late 50s and had it be just as thrilling i think it's dated and timeless all at the same time it's interesting that you think it's dated because i felt almost i don't say not the opposite but i agree with your second half i felt it felt timeless because the the killer buffalo bill Uh, He lives in and sort of strikes in Ohio and Joliet, Illinois, these sort of depressed areas where the cars all kind of suck and the houses are near train tracks. And it just – to me, that could have been shot yesterday. It could have been shot in the 60s. The fact it was 1991, it's like it's kind of timeless. So there's a few shots like this. There's a scene where they're using a, a police fax machine. There, she's but, she's but doing research then, at a library using the microfiche. Like, yeah, I mean, there, there's it, no internet in 1991. Yeah, but even then, I mean, I just think, I think it's more timeless. And when I was watching it, like you, I've seen this movie, I've seen it dozens of times. This is not only one of my favorite best pictures, but I probably put it somewhere in my top 20 movies of all. Like, I just okay. love this movie. But what I really was struck by on this viewing, because like you, it's been a little while, was the way the music and the editing and all of the close-ups that Jonathan Demme used, the movie feels really fluid to me. It, sure it does, feels yeah. like it doesn't feel like a normal movie in that scenes just sort of melt one to the other. Yeah. And the music carries us along the whole time that it feels really non-traditional. And I know that Jonathan Demme has a long history, or he did, you know, he passed away just about a year ago, uh, but he had a long history of music videos and concert films, and it feels like having somebody with his pedigree a- attached to this, he took a lot of the sensationalism out, left in the shock and the violence, but this almost dreamlike quality that the movie has, I just love, yeah. and was really blown away by this time. I I, I agree with you, and and I'll bring back the Hitchcock reference again. I I feel like it's so suspenseful for the two-hour sit without a ton of blood being spilt. I think that there are mm. some there are some oh my god jaw-dropping scenes. You know, you think of the final scene where your heart's just racing, you don't breathe for the last ten minutes. I, I think of the scene in yeah. Memphis when Hannibal's in that caged uh, makeshift cell in the middle of the. I mean that that obviously intensifies. 
but there's only a few of them. And I think that most of the rest of it, blood is curdled but not spilt. And it's just a a two-hour um, white knuckle fest where you're, you're just nervous all the time. Every, everything is unnerving. Every scene is nerve-wracking. And... And I, I would really compare it to a Hitchcock film. And and like you said, the, the close-ups are are really intense. The the conversation scenes between the two walls of Clarice and Hannibal are really unsettling dialogue. The the conversation about why what wh- why is the movie called Silence of the Lambs and why did right. she leave this ranch that she lived on is a really rough Thing to listen to it's it's yeah i mean he's getting into her psyche and he's loving it and she's it's almost therapeutic for her to be explaining it to him and plus it's all about animals getting slaughtered so it's just really sad to me it's just an it's unsettling you, five right? minutes of film yeah but that last scene in memphis so they only have four scenes together and by the way anthony hopkins i think at the time and maybe still this is the second shortest screen time for any best actor winner. Right. It's like so he's 30 really minutes or something screen. like that. It, yeah. It's like 24. It's really short. It's not like uh, uh Dame Judi Dench short. <laughs> Five minutes. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but he's only in the film a little bit, but their scenes together are so powerful. And that last one, the, the close up of him is extreme. Like his face takes up the entire frame. Yeah. And he's shot like looking down. So it's so intense and creepy. And I just think, you know, that scene where he's he's really just asking her about her childhood. Yeah. And he really he's really not saying anything too terrible, but the way it's framed, the intensity of the scene really leads you to to think about Hannibal Lecter long after the movie is done. You yeah. know, I mean, he certainly kills a number of people in the movie when he escapes. And we hear about his crimes and they reference some of the horror, horrific things he's done. But James Gum is the bad guy in this movie. Absolutely. He's the, yeah. And he is viciously killing people and making a suit of their skin. I mean, this guy is like a disgusting, psychopathic serial killer. And yet Hannibal Lecter is the one we think about. Right. And, and I even wrote down, why is it so satisfying to see Lecter win in the battles that he's in like there's there's something you're rooting for this like committed cannibal right i mean he's 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 a criminal he's been committed to an institution for eating the victims he was a serial killer and he ate parts of their body and yet there's something so endearing about him i mean he like i i can't think i heard that gene hackman was actually in consideration to play the role and I think Gene Hackman's great, but I just can't imagine anybody other than Anthony Hopkins being able to pull off the ability to be charming. Yeah. There's that scene where Clarice is talking to her roommate and saying, you know, I'm not afraid that he would hurt me because I feel like he'd think it was impolite or something like that. Right. And, and that's how he comes off. Like, he's he's got this sort of sense of gentlemanliness <laughs> that yeah. is endearing and it makes you root for him despite how bad he is. Well, I read that Jonathan Demi was trying to, I don't know if he was talking to Sir Anthony Hopkins or if he was talking to Jodie Foster, but he was describing Lecter and they said, it seems like he, he's kind of a good guy. And he said, well, he is a good guy. He's just trapped in an insane mind. 
So it's sort of like Hannibal would be a good guy and a great psychiatrist and maybe help the police if, if only, only he, he wasn't trapped yeah. in the mind of a psychopathic cannibal. Sure. Man, he'd be great. So anyway, Anthony Hopkins really is it's a it's an amazing performance. It's it'll go down and has gone down in film history as one of the best villains, one of the scariest villains. I think he's the top of the AFI's list of villains. Maybe it's always him, um Darth Vader and Nurse Ratched are always like one, two, and three, right. and maybe over the years they kind of jump around. Um, but just fantastic. But I also have to say Jodie Foster is excellent oh, she's in great. the movie. Yeah. And the movie, what I really loved, it allows her to be a real character. She's strong. She's driven. But she's not perfect. She's not um, – she breaks down. She cries by her car after meeting with Lecter. She's clearly intimidated by some other – um, FBI and police officials she sure. meets. She screws up in some of her FBI training drills that we see. You know, you see her running with her roommate and they're like having to, you know, kind of uh, drill each other on the codes. You know, what's right. a 211 right. and what does right. that mean? Right. And so, like, she's just allowed to be new and fresh-faced and naive and weak and strong and badass and I feel like movies today would work really hard to either not let her be those things or would make such a big deal of them at the same time. I don't know. This movie does it flawlessly somehow. Yeah, well, this movie's a big deal in the sense that most Best Picture winners do not have a female protagonist. And she not only won Best Actress for this movie, but she's the central character. I mean, she's oh, sure. the heart of the film, no doubt. You, I mean, you said Anthony happens on screen less than 30 minutes. There's a bigger villain in the movie, but we don't see him much at all. So she's it. She she yeah. really carries the film quite well. I'll tell you who I... If there's one thing that I don't like about the movie, and I didn't remember not liking it until I rewatched it this week for this episode, was Dr. Chilton. Like, that is your Anthony just... Anthony Hill. He is just your awful villain. Like, embarrassingly stupid. That When he's given the press conference in Memphis about how it was his research that brought him here and and resulted in this amazing discovery that's going to save the senator's daughter. It's just like he's not even written well. Like his character is so is painted so badly in the film. Oh, I see. I I think it's totally fair to hate him cuz he is a hateful, skeevy, loser, whiny bitch, but I feel like he's written and played perfectly as that. Like you can hate that but you can't hate Anthony Heald's performance See, and I, Ted Kelly's writing. I do. Like, I, I feel like it almost went a little too far. I, I feel like you could have... I compare him to the... Who's the guy in the original Ghostbusters that's trying to... From the EPA that's trying to shut the whole thing down? Peck. Yes. Peck, yes. Mr. Pecker over here. Yeah. 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 I feel... It, it was sort of to that kind of extreme, and and I but I I'd felt, say the same about that guy. But, but I he's, liked him he's better. A perfect. I liked Peck better. I feel like that this guy was almost sort of a caricature movie villain, and and he was the one the one thing about the movie that I don't like. Wow, anything I, I you don't like? It, no, there's nothing I don't like about this movie. No, I I really enjoy everything about this movie. Okay, all um, right, excellent, but. But there are some things that you still, even after all these years and all the times I've seen it, I have to say what's up with. Like, what is up with that you – there's a scene – you actually referenced it earlier where Jodie Foster and her roommate are discussing the case, talking about the computer. And 
Clarice is wearing the craziest Worst PJs. Pajamas. Yeah. The- yeah. Like, what is she wearing? How did they come up? How did that get past? Hideous. Anybody? Hideous pajamas. Yeah. yeah. I can't even remember those in the early 90s. Uh, speaking of Clarice's attire, when she's in the opening montage, that training scene, she's wearing like a turtleneck under a sweatshirt. That seemed a little weird. And then right. she's she's out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, you get the sense at least because she's by herself. She's not like with a group of people running down this trail training regimen. And then out of nowhere, this guy just shows up that says the director wants to see you in his office. And it's kind of hilarious because he's wearing like an orange vest to make sure that he can be seen as he approaches her. And he just shows up after looking like he jogged for about 10 seconds and is like, hey, uh, Starling, uh, so-and-so wants to see you in his office. And like, she looks like she's been running for 20 miles. Like, where did he appear from that he can just tell her, oh, by the way, get back to the office. Right. Like, she, she looks like she's 20 miles into rural Virginia at that point. Well, she's on the obstacle course, and I think the opening is awesome and sets up, again, that she is, A, in training, B, she's pushing herself really hard, and C, she's doing things that are intense, complicated, and probably stereotypically done by men, bigger yeah. men. Yeah. And in fact, at the end of that sequence, when she's going to see um, Scott Glenn in his office, she's in an elevator with a bunch of guys who are all a foot and a half, two feet taller than her. Sure. She looks like she's sit- standing on her knees or something. She's so tiny. And again, that's like she's a woman in a man's world. She's right. a small woman in a big man's world. So I think that opening is really effective at sort of setting up Clarice uh, from the get-go. What is up with uh, the basement at the end? I mean, James Gum's basement is the most insane. It, it goes set. for like four city blocks underneath the right. house. Yeah, huge yeah. labyrinth of like crumbling walls. <laughs> there's there's a well in the basement where you can just store a human. He's got a full surgical suite down there. He's got a, like enough extra. He's got a whole extra bathroom where he just keeps a desiccated old lady. <laughs> Right. And what is up with that? What happened to that lady? What is in that bathtub? Oh, it's just God. gunk. Yeah. You only I've see you only known. see that for yeah. like two seconds, but it gunk. It, it's rough. What's up with um when Starling eventually graduates at the end of the film, they're having a big party right before Lecter calls her on the phone. Um right. and they're they're slicing up some cakes to hand out as dessert. Yes! The piece of cake the is the piece of cake. It, it, it would feed all of my family for a week. It is the g- most giant slice of cake I've ever seen. And they only have yes. a couple of them. And it, but it looks like there's a good 200 people at the party. But apparently yes. only like six of them get a piece of cake. I wrote whoever's cutting that cake has A, never cut a cake, and B, never eaten a piece of cake. Because you could never have eaten a piece that big. It's ridiculous. It is comically large, yes. Ridiculous. <laughs> What is up with that that same graduation, the bug guys from the university who help her uncover what kind of insect cocoon the case had, they are at the graduation. Clarice has no one in her life that she actually, her like plus one or all the tickets, she's like, well, I met some guys for five minutes six weeks ago. Maybe I'll see if they're around. The guy, the guy that was cross-eyed, eyes. they looked pretty hot at me. So I'm probably going to bring him as my plus one. Yeah. And that guy had googly guys, bad teeth, and cotton candy hair. And he sits and plays with bugs all day. I mean, this guy's <laughs> got like ten strikes against him. And she's inviting him. 
what's up what's up with when they're in memphis and they the you can tell that the security has finally realized that hannibal has escaped the elevator is going all wonky down one floor up two floors down two floors whatever so they call in the SWAT team and so Chris Isaac SWAT team is approaching. Chris and, Isaac shows right, up. Yeah, yep. and as they all get there, like they've had about 20 seconds to react to what's going on here before they realize they need backup. But they instantly have a, a stepladder, the exact correct height so that somebody can climb up and, and release the hatch and the thing. I'm like, how, how many ladders did they have in the room at the time to choose from? Like it didn't seem like a place where you've just got supplies laying around right right what's up with all of those SWAT guys so the first of all the Memphis police guys got the craziest mustache it's like super pointy (laughs) and just like a like a line across his face (laughs) all the other guys other than Chris Isaac all the other SWAT guys are like 58 years old so they're all old they've all got huge glasses on I mean they just look ridiculous like they all look like Chris Isaac's dad like that's not the SWAT team I'd want showing up and can we just can I just close with what's up with Ted Levine? Just in general, I mean, yeah. this movie gave gave us him uh, as an actor and as a, as a character actor. He plays James Gum. He is just weird. He's from his voice to his mannerisms to the way yeah. he looks. I mean, for thirty years, this guy has been creeping people out. Yeah, even through eight seasons of Monk, where he tried to <laughs> you know sort of soften the edges and charm us as as uh, Captain Stottlemyre. What is up with Ted Levine? Yeah. Uh, You know, one other thing that I really like that I'll throw out there before we wrap up, just because it ends the movie. I think that the end credit sequence is really unique. It's it's unusual to see a film that actually has a background shot through the duration of the five minute long end credits. And this one does it and it does it well. Like, I I mean, you're, you're watching Hannibal Lecter walking off following Dr. Chilton through the streets of wherever they are. Is it like Puerto Rico or something like that? Yeah, but, who knows? I mean, some, some Caribbean island, clearly. And, and, and he's long out of shot, but you just get the sense, like, oh, something bad is happening off camera right now. Like, this this yeah. ain't gonna end well for Dr. Chilton. And it's a really chilling five-minute credit sequence, which you don't get in movies. Like No. In fact, I did sit and watch this one in its entirety all the way to the conclusion, and I was interested the whole time, unlike Call Me By Your Name, which I turned off, you know, one minute into that ending. I think that was also a great... I'm I'm glad you even brought that up. I forgot that that was similar in fashion to this. There's two of them I've seen now, yeah. Mike, are you ready for five questions? Let's do it. Question number one, if you had to be killed by Hannibal Lecter or James Gum, who would you rather kill you and why? Oh, boy. I would say it would have to be Hannibal Lecter. I guess I don't. you don't get a lot of his backstory. You don't know how all of the other victims perish. You know he's a cannibal. And, of course, I've seen his sequels and know some stuff that went down. But it seems like when he kills someone in the movie, he's doing it with an explicit purpose to advance his goal. And it's... Painful, but relatively quick. And James Gum, I mean, you're sitting in a well for a few weeks. That's no good. Right. Yeah. Right. Fair enough. Okay. I'll take Lecter. You'll take Lecter for 500. Question number two. Does Silence of the Lambs illuminate or romanticize the dark side of man? 
That's a deep question, that, listeners. That deep. Thanks like, for that one. Do, do I have to pick one of the two, or could it be does it do either or both of those things or not? Like you said, Demi's point about Hannibal Lecter, he's he's a good guy. He's Fair just, enough. He's just trapped in a bad mind. Bad, trapped in there. Uh, now, the same listener who sent us that thought-provoking and sort of intense, deep question sent us this one. And again, we don't fact check this uh, question. Number three, the moth cocoons found in the victim's throat were made from Tootsie Rolls and gummy bears so they would be edible if swallowed. Yet director Demi insisted on 100 percent realism during Foster's scene with Migs. Oh, is Foster's performance better for it? Oh, Migs is the guy two cells down from. Okay, Yeah, uh. I, I I can't imagine that. Like maybe the first part was authentic. Like he's catching her off guard. I can't believe that when she passes by the second time that that actually. Of happened. course not. I mean, like, <laughs> listeners, this is just a disgusting listener. I mean, like okay. maybe maybe he uh, like did he surprise her with something? Like did he throw something at her in that second pass? And and maybe that was sort of real from that perspective. I don't know. Uh, but Foster's performance is, is obviously great. And so is Miggs, by the way. <laughs> You're a big Miggs fan. Question number four. Yeah. Do the lackluster sequels starring Anthony Hopkins somehow cheapen this film's achievements and or his performance? No, they don't. I, I mean, this this movie stands the test of time. And I guess I, I feel like this was such a cultural Thing. Like, I remember the Oscars this year with Billy Crystal getting wheeled out on the dolly, right. the furniture dolly with the the mask on and everything like that. This is a movie that I guess people, there's people that haven't seen, but everybody has heard of it and everybody knows who Hannibal Lecter is. I, I can't imagine you couldn't at least tie Hannibal Lecter to this film. And I actually sort of liked a couple of the sequels. I liked Red Dragon and I liked Hannibal enough. So I, I don't think... It, even if they'd been dog crap, I I don't think that they cheapen this in any way. Final question. Uh, this listener says, The film garnered near-universal acclaim, but film critic Gene Siskel was not impressed and gave the picture a two-star review. Wow. Should that have been an early indication that he wasn't all right in the head? Oh, dear. Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> why am I laughing? That's a I'm gonna, terrible I'm going to head question. it off laugh. That... <laughs> uh you know if to each his own everybody's got their own thoughts on art it's why i find reviews kind of a tricky thing to begin with i sort of like rotten tomatoes because you at least get a a large consensus but i mean you read any individual person who you think highly of and they don't think highly of a film but it's art i mean everybody gets to choose what they want to Good answer. Good answer. Well, Mike, those are five questions. Thanks, listeners. Thank you, listeners. Uh, Your final thoughts on The Silence of the Lambs and whether or not the Academy got it right back in 91. It's hard to say that they didn't because you it's just a choice that you you cannot disagree with. I will say that I've seen JFK more often than Silence of the Lambs since 1991, and I love that freaking movie. I think either one of those, you could, God dang it, like Beauty and the Beast, I, I wouldn't have necessarily complained about either. That's a beautiful movie. It was a it was a great year. When you sweep all five of the top awards, it's really hard to say that you biffed it. I, I think yeah. they got it right. 
It, I agree. I think if they got anything wrong that year, it was that Bugsy came in with 10. Like, uh, that ju- That seems the outlier to me. And that's one of those movies of when's the last time anyone sat down to watch Bugsy? Sure. Yeah. Right. 1993? Like, yeah. some curious people a year or two later? Right. Probably not since. Right, right. That's one of those movies, like, if it was on Netflix and you fired it up, there's some server whirring to life for the first time in 10 years, <laughs> like, since they loaded it. And, like, alarms go off and guys are like, whoa, 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 what's happening on number 508? And they're like, some- someone's watching Bugsy? That can't be right. <laughs> Like they probably think like, oh, it's probably just Mr. Beatty. Like he spools it up. Like, <laughs> like he forgets that he annually. was in it. Like he, he right. reads the he reads the synopsis and thinks, oh, this sounds interesting. Maybe he and Annette watch it every year on their anniversary. Like they order a heart shaped pizza and yeah. watch Bugsy. And nowadays she cuts his food real small and feeds it to him. <laughs> Coming up next, we've got the film Chappaquiddick, starring Jason Clark as Ted Kennedy. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Spoiler Alert podcast. Please visit us online at movieoutsiders.com, where you can see what films we'll be discussing next, comment on our recent episodes, suggest movies to review or topics to discuss, or submit questions for the five questions segment of the podcast. Stop by and visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash movieoutsiders, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at movieoutsiders. If you're a fan of the show, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast subscription service you use. We'll be back again next week with another episode, but until then, enjoy the movies.